In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Liz and Bill came to Helfenog near the Brecon Beacons, Wales, to establish a family and live an idyllic life in the countryside. Little did they know, entities would plague them until they were driven out. Welcome back to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, and this week we're exploring the paranormal happenings of a haunted farmhouse, widely regarded as one of the most haunted locations in Britain, and the story of the couple who lived there. <laughs> Hailfenog, now more commonly known as Hellfire Farm, is a remote farmhouse that sits on the edge of the Brecon Beacons, near Killerbert, Mott in St Powys, Wales. Constructed in the 1950s, Hailfenog has been regarded as a highly haunted location, earning the title of the Welsh Amityville for the activity that occurs there, including poltergeist, possessions, and even physical injury. And some of you might be familiar with another name, Witch House. Bill and Liz Rich moved to Helfenog in 1989. Liz was expecting her first child at the time. Her husband Bill was an artist who thought the scenic, remote location in Brecon Beacons could be a source of inspiration for his work. The couple were eager to start their family and embark on a new adventure together. One day, when Liz was feeding her new baby boy, Bill was in the downstairs toilet. He heard heavy, pounding footsteps race across the landing. He was suspicious, but assumed the footsteps were his wife's. However, when he went upstairs to investigate, he found that Liz had not moved from Ben's bedroom. There was no explanation as to who these footsteps belonged to. Another oddity at this location was the rising electricity bills. Liz and Bill were being charged four times more than usual for their electricity, even when they kept the lights off. They believed something could have been draining the electricity in the house. They noticed that the lights in the barn would flicker brightly, even when they were switched off. The paranormal events only increased from there. The footsteps continued, doors were closing by themselves, and a putrid smell lingered in the kitchen. The couple got electricians and plumbers in to try and fix these issues, but to no avail. If they weren't already convinced the house was haunted, they were now. It was at this point that Liz turned to the local priest for help. The priest came and blessed the house, and for a while, things seemed to improve. The smell subsided, 
and the mood in Helpenog was brighter. But unfortunately, this didn't last. Liz, now pregnant with her second child, saw a startling sight out of the bedroom window one day. An elderly woman stood at her window and began to slowly melt away out of sight. Liz saw the woman again in Ben's bedroom, sat in the corner, only to vanish once again. They wanted to leave to escape the spirits that resided within the walls of Helpenog, but due to the UK's recession in 1989 and into 1990, they had no choice but to remain. They were facing financial hardship and sold their car to pay the debts they were mounting. Desperate to understand what spirits occupied their house, the couple contacted a team of parapsychologists to investigate. They determined that four entities were present, an elderly woman, two young men, and an ancient spirit attached to Bill rather than the property. Soon after the investigation, Liz saw something which prompted her to evacuate the family immediately to stay at her parents' house. Shortly after the birth of her second child, Liz saw something strange hovering in the doorway of the kitchen. A large, shadowy figure. Having never seen this entity before, Liz believed the apparitions would only increase if she stayed. A neighbour of theirs suggested contacting the Baptist minister David Holmwood. After David's investigation of the property and the events that have transpired, he concludes that a demon is stalking the couple. Two weeks later, Liz and Bill returned to Helfenog with David in tow to search for and compile evidence which linked the family to the demon. David noticed some darker themes in Bill's artwork and advised that this could be linked to the demon. Bill then burns the paintings in his back garden with lighter fluid and a match. Tensions rose in the days that followed. Liz and Bill moved back to Helfenog where Bill's mental health took a turn for the worst and he began to withdraw from Liz, incorporating darker themes into his paintings. Moving still wasn't an option, with the ongoing financial difficulties the family was facing. One day, things came to a head. Liz came home to find the power cut off and scribbles across the walls. She then came across Bill, who was standing still and mumbling about the deceased walking through the house. Liz finally demands they leave the house for good by any means necessary. The ordeal put a strain on the couple and they divorce shortly after. There's more to this infamous farmhouse than just Liz and Bill's experience. The structure was built upon two headstones using stone from an old 16th century manor house. The identity of the old woman was confirmed by Liz from a photograph depicting the landlord's mother who died in the property. One of the two boys is thought to be an old farmhand in the mid-19th century, murdered brutally within a kilometre of the property. In a podcast documenting Liz and the things she experienced at Helfenog, she mentions how the place, quote, ate away at Bill. The house ate away at his soul. It took away his self-respect. He was drinking more. He became someone who was rotten from the inside out. It eventually destroyed him. Well, this, to me, is a fascinating case, and it's also a famous one within the paranormal world. So, was Bill being influenced by an evil spirit? Is this possible? Well, I believe so, definitely. I've watched members of my investigation team change. 
After spending more than 24 hours in one haunted location, especially if the location has had a brutal history of murder, suicide, anything negative, this sort of thing can happen. I've observed my team members become docile, almost like they were sleepwalking. I'd say, are you all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And you can clearly see, not just me, but other members of my team could clearly see that something isn't right with that investigator. Then there's the other extreme where I've seen team members become violent and abusive. It really is a frightening phenomena. And I truly believe the energy that has seeped into the house over the years can affect new occupants. The negativity, the history of murders and suicide and evil deeds that have gone on within these locations really do and can affect the people that walk in. The spirits that reside in certain homes certainly can influence the way that you feel and think. And this can be really dangerous. And many people believe that ghosts cannot follow you home. And I believe this to be true. And it certainly seemed to be the case with Bill and Liz. Now, this case is really interesting and one that has mystified believers and skeptics for many years. If a person was evil in life, they are still evil after death. Just because somebody dies, it doesn't automatically turn them into a beautiful angel. That evil soul can linger within the boundaries of the property they resided in. If they feel they can manipulate a person to do their will, to do their bidding, then they're going to do it. Also, I've met and helped people in their homes where suddenly for no reason they experience a haunting, poltergeist activity, violent poltergeist activity. And in one case, I think I've discussed this on a previous show, an old man had attached itself to a young girl because she reminded him of his granddaughter. Well, after an argument and a bit of a tussle with the spirit, he agreed to leave. And as far as I'm aware, he hasn't been back to the young lady's house since. Now, if you want to know more about this case of Helfenog, then I can highly recommend a book called Testimony by Mark Chadbourne, and it's available to purchase as an ebook on Amazon. And the building is still there and is occupied. It's a private residence, but I wonder, have the new occupants experienced anything paranormal at all? Oh, and by the way, if you do get the book Testimony, don't read it in bed just before you turn the lights off. This week's story comes from our listener, Jess. Hello, she says, I've just discovered your podcast and thought I'd write in about my experience with a medium at my local spiritualist church. I was introduced to the world of spiritualism and mediums, etc. by my boyfriend's family. I was extremely sceptical as to what they were telling me, so I thought it'd be best to attend a session with a medium to get a first-hand experience. I went along to my session not really knowing what to expect and when I tell you my mind was blown, that is an understatement. The session started by the lady telling me that my granddad was here and gave me some quite generic information, such as that he was quite lonely at times and that he used to talk to my grandma after she passed, etc. At this point, I'm not convinced and neither would I. However, she then starts to smile and asks me, he wants to know what you've done with his chair. My granddad's armchair is the only seat he'd ever sit on in the house and this was a joke amongst the family. She then gave me the name Stanley and said he's also here with me. 
Stanley is my great granddad's name. She then proceeds to tell me that she has a scruffy dog with her. I've never owned a dog who looked kind of like a Yorkshire Terrier. She also said she was being shown a tea bag with this dog. At this point, I was extremely confused. I mentioned this to my mum later that evening when discussing my reading with my mum and she went pale. My Yorkie poodle as a youngster used to have a cup of tea from his dish every day. Here's where it gets weirder. The medium then takes a deep breath and the energy seems to change. She looks at me and says, a man died young in your family, very young. Can you take the name Ted? My granddad's brother, my great uncle Ted, was killed in Nazi Germany in 1943 when he was just 21 years old. There is genuinely no way this lady could have known this. She said, he wants you to know he's at peace and is whole again. He died in an RAF plane crash, so safe to say when he died he wouldn't have been whole. And finally, here's where it gets crazy. I was looking back over the notes I took in this reading a few weeks ago and I noticed the name of my uncle and the word legs after this. This made no sense at the time, but recently my uncle has been diagnosed with blocked arteries in his legs. These notes have been unedited since the day the reading took place in 2019. Hope you enjoy, Jess. Well, thank you so much, Jess, for sharing. Now, most of you know by now my thoughts on mediums. As long as you get specific messages from them that make sense to you and you're sure that the medium hasn't got the information from your Facebook page or any other social media or other means and it gives you hope, happiness and closure, then you've found a good medium. If they're doing things like what's called cold reading, where they're looking at you, they're checking you out, have you got a wedding ring on, do you look well-groomed, do you look like you've got a bit of money, they can do things like now, I've got an elderly lady here with me now. She's either your grandmother or a great-grandmother. I'm thinking grandmother. She's not coming forward with the name yet. But she's sitting here now and she's saying there's a piece of jewellery that was hers and she wants you to have it. Can you take that? You might think it means nothing to me. Or you might think, because it's so generic, oh my gosh, yes, yes, oh yes. Or if you say no, they'll say... Well, have a chat with some of your family members and just check it out. Then they might say, now I've got a family pet here. There's a dog here and it's running around this lady and she's very, very happy. And this dog, it seems to me like the family dog. But this dog is here with you now and, and she's very happy and she wants you to know she's protecting you at all times. Also, I see a move in the family coming on. I can see a number 63 and a red door. Does this mean anything to you? No. Well, look out for it because it could mean something to you and so on and so on and so on. So that's called cold reading. If you get that kind of reading, I wouldn't be impressed at all. But as I said, if you get absolutely names, surnames, real specific stuff that cannot be found anywhere else and it gives you absolute joy, then you're on to a winner. But... If you're going to go and see one, do your research first. And if they charge you any money, run a bloody mile. Welcome to Mum's the Word, the parenting podcast. Where we answer the questions you want to hear about parenthood. And provide you with real, honest advice for every stage of your parenting journey. Whether you're a parent-to-be, a new mum like me, navigating those sleepless nights. 
or a more experienced parent facing the challenges of raising older kids like me. We've got you covered with relatable stories, expert insights and plenty of laughs along the way. So grab your headphones, a cup of coffee or maybe something stronger. And let's get real about parenting. We're not going to be sugarcoating anything from punamis to piles. Nothing is off limits at Mum's The Word. It's a podcast for all the parents out there, our own little club. Mum's The Word. Listen wherever you get your podcast from. And hit follow so you don't miss an episode. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome back to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding. Our guest on this week's episode is Irish author and screenwriter Derek Landy, most famous for his skullduggery pleasant graphic novel series. So, Derek, how did you come up with the idea for skullduggery? Uh, sometimes with ideas, you get a hint of one and you uh, file it away and... You work in it and you add to it and over time it becomes something worthwhile and then you keep on adding to it. Skullduggery was different. I had written two small Irish films that got produced in like 2003 and 2005, I think. So I was firmly in screenwriter mode. I thought, okay, I'm going to be a screenwriter. I'm going to work in movies. It's going to be brilliant. I love movies. I love writing scripts. I love uh, making movies because everyone there is so pretty. But then Skullduggery Pleasant, the name just popped into my head in, I'm pretty sure it was the summer of 2005. And it told me everything about him and I could immediately see who he was and he was a skeleton he was a detective he dressed like a 1940s private eye and because of that i was able to indulge in my lifelong love of really fast dialogue because i've had a stammer since i was i think three so when i was a kid when i was a teenager and even in my 20s i couldn't really speak fast 
So watching, you know, Humphrey Bogart or or Cary Grant or all of the old black and white uh, film noir and screwball comedies really ignited a love of the spoken word at the same time as my love of the actual written word was uh, very healthy. So Skullduggery kind of allowed me to do everything. It allowed me to write a fast-talking detective, but because he was a walking and talking skeleton, because he was, in effect, dead, it allowed me to not only do crime, but also horror and and fantasy and incorporate all different kinds of magic and imagination into this series, which is, I mean, yeah, I've got the first graphic novel out, but we've just announced book 16 in the series. So it's been sustaining me for quite a while. Forgive me if I get the quote wrong, but something, um, what was it? Uh, do you want to kill me? And Skullduggery says, no, if I, I, I could kill you, but if I did and I killed everybody, there'd be lots of dead bodies around me and there'd be no one to talk to. Something like that. And it's just so lovely how you, and instantly this image came to my mind of him standing there just surrounded with, with dead bodies and he's sort of shrugging, you know. But that's really interesting because you've gone from that and now, you know, you're talking about the written word and, you know, fast-paced talking and the humour that comes out in the book. But also now you've turned it, you know, you've turned to a graphic novel. Can I just say, I think it's going to be absolutely enormous because i love graphic novels oh, um, and I, I, I really really do i think people are just going to gobble this up and it's long time coming may i say um <laughs> and when's the big blockbuster movie movie coming out i mean i've always been a huge fan of comics and i've always uh, read comics and and a few years ago i started to write for marvel comics because i had wanted to get into comics for years but it's such a hard industry to get into and so one of the editors in marvel had read the books and she tweeted me and said if ever you want to write for marvel just uh, uh say so and i said yeah, yes please so from that point on my publisher started to get interested because ever since Heartstopper burst onto the scene and it proved that it doesn't really matter what form a story takes. It could be book, it could be, be film, or it could be comic. As long as the story is there, the audience is there. So um, it was, I think, because of Heartstopper that we suddenly speeded up. We had been talking about it for years because of Marvel. But now everyone, every publisher wants a graphic novel imprint or side hustle. So uh, I'm just kind of lucky that this does fall within my skill set. So yeah, we finally have a Skullduggery graphic novel drawn by the astonishing PJ Holden. And uh, it just looks beautiful. Really does. Well, I honestly can't wait um, to get it, get my hands on that. So, you know, as we discussed, you know, uh, the, the the subject matter, your characters, the, the fantasy, comedy, uh, horror. So you're a sceptic. So have you had any paranormal experiences at all? I haven't. I am extraordinarily logical in terms of I have to see something to believe it. That said, my girlfriend 
And I'd say a handful of people I know would swear that there is something else. Uh, my girlfriend, she's, um, she's English and she's from Kent. Her parents uh, live in an old cottage that has been in their family for 100 years. She has a few friends who would class themselves as being... I suppose, a little more open than ordinary folks. And the moment these people step into the cottage, they go, oh, yeah, there's a ghost here. And they're completely unconnected. They haven't spoken to each other. They don't even know each other. But whenever anyone of that particular kind of sensitivity steps into that cottage, they all say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is a presence here. I mean, from a logical point of view, from a very practical earthbound point of view, even I have to go, okay, there's a reason for this. There's a reason why sensitive people react the same way to something in this house. You know, like being Irish, surrounded by the kinds of legends and stories that... I was subjected to as a child. I'm not saying that in Ireland we're brought up believing in the supernatural because we aren't, but the stories we are told, the legends we read about in school, they're so prevalent that I think it does, at the very least, it gets you into a particular mindset where I think it just feeds my imagination. I would love to actually be a believer. And I'm just waiting for the occurrence to occur. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. I always say seeing is believing. How can you believe in something that you've not experienced or you haven't seen? Yeah. You know, there's faith. That's a different thing, isn't it? Faith. But you talk about the folklore and, your, and, and, and growing up with that at school and, and in your family. And that feeds your imagination, like you say. The creative juices were flowing and they've been flowing an awful lot. So did you use some of that Irish folklore within the books? Yes. Now, I didn't want the Skullduggery Pleasant series to just have that as the foundation because a few series especially for this kind of age group they start off with that kind of thing as in they are firmly entrenched in this particular lore legends myths or supernatural beliefs and that is how they build their identity i didn't want skullduggery to be restricted by that. So there were absolutely bits and pieces of Irish folklore in there, but I was intent on establishing my own universe of magic and of different types of magic and of different types of people, and then incorporate certain supernatural elements like the classics like vampires incorporate them into it and then also incorporate some of the better and spookier aspects of irish folklore like there was a character called uh, dullahan who is a rider of a black coach uh, drawn by headless horses and he is just spooky as hell and, you know, from bits and pieces, I was able to draw on the whole Banshee thing, which I know as a rational person and as a person who is not a believer, 
I know, in my opinion, they don't exist. And yet, a banshee creeps the hell out of me. It's not because I've ever had an experience with a banshee or I've ever seen a movie that has creeped me out enough with a banshee, but it's the fact that I was uh, brought up. It's not even with these stories because I wouldn't be able to recount to you a story, but it's been brought up with this belief, with this awareness of this thing, which is just such a huge part of my upbringing, of my childhood. And I was brought up in County Dublin, but on the outskirts, you know, so we were brought up on a farm and we went to a tiny primary school. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where at night you look out the window and you're not in an estate. You're not looking at street lamps. You're not looking at houses. You're looking at at darkness, you know, at dark hedges, at dark fields, at starry nights with very little light pollution and no street lamps whatsoever. And the place where I am now, which is only like 10 minutes away from where I grew up, we are in a house which is on its own. We have no neighbors. There are no street lamps. At night, it is pitch black, and that allows those little primal fears to start, like, scraping their fingernails down the back of your neck. And that's the very primal, very instinctive, very, you know, this is not from the, a logical place at all. It's just whatever this is, there is something in me uh, telling me uh, to be scared. Do you know, when you first told us, the name just popped into your head, Skullduggery Pleasant. I believe that was divine intervention. I really do. I believe that that was somebody up there going, and you're going to write this. Here's the title, and you're going to get on with it, and you're going to write it. And I would love for you, I know you're in Ireland, maybe I'm, when I'm in Ireland, I would love for you to join us on a ghost hunt, because you will see things and you'll experience things that you'll go, okay, my logical brain can't work that one out, but I would really like you to experience it, and then I'd love to watch your face. <laughs> <laughs> That, I love that, that so much. That is such an appealing idea. I am, as you can imagine, a lifelong fan of horror. Just love it from uh, early childhood up until now. And it's that you're being drawn to something that scares you. You're being drawn to something that actually makes you uncomfortable in your own skin. And so... The, I, I wonder why, sorry to interrupt you, but I wonder why... Where that's come from within you. I know you talked about your childhood and everything, but I think there's something more there. I don't know what it is, but I really do. And it's, I know you're doing your graphic novel and so on. And I know you've probably been asked this so many times, but because you, as you're reading your books, you're there, you're actually in it, you picture it so beautifully. So when are you going to write? an adult novel that we're all going to absolutely shit ourselves because <laughs> you're the you you you're the master at it you know and that and people love horror like yourself me personally if you did a grown-up version there's no way i could read it i can't watch anything or read anything that's scary i have been trying to find the time to do an adult horror book and the problem for me is that when i have too much space and too much leeway, 
I will flit between ideas because I will always think, okay, I'm working on this one now, but is it really worth the next six months of my life? Or, okay, okay, I'll do this other idea and I will, you know, I'll work on that. But then right as I'm about to start, I go, is this worth the next six months? So I will flit through ideas and I, so when it comes to writing for adults, I have been just f- flitting for months until I just decided I don't have any more time. But the lovely thing about graphic novels and the lovely thing about being able to write screenplays and also short stories and books is that all of these ideas, I can just uh, get them down on paper. I can turn it into a graphic novel or a comic or a short story or a book and just get it out of my head. So when I have my time, I swear to God, I'm going to write my horror novel for adults and it's going to be everything that I've been unable to do in Skullduggery, which to the credit of my editor at HarperCollins, hasn't been a whole lot. So they have allowed me to get away with a lot in the books because these are technically books for younger people. And I haven't been able to go crazy. My editor keeps on pulling me back on certain things like apparently I can't have someone ripping someone's arms off and beating them to death with their own fists. Apparently... That is too much for the younger reader. I apologize. I had to take that out. But every time I finish a Skullduggery book, my agent, she told me a few years ago that whenever a book is finished, she always expects a screenplay to come within a few weeks or months. That is the most horrible thing she's ever read because... I've been restraining myself so much with the book. And so all of the darker thoughts, the darker impulses, they have to find release as some way. They usually come out in screenplay form, but with a horror novel, I think I will finally be able to indulge. And it's just going to be very interesting to see what I come up with. I cannot absolutely wait and i listen your auntie yvette the paranormal strange lady is going to tell you now if you don't sit down and write that bloody book i'll be very if i die before you i'm gonna haunt the crap out of you so you you need please 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 i am a huge fan please start writing the next time you go oh what shall i write write, sit down and write this horror novel for adults please please please. i promise thank you so much now listen the graphic novel is called bad magic it's out now please go and buy one uh, Derek you're an absolute legend it's been an honour that you've been on our show and I've just loved listening to you and chatting away and hopefully you'll come back again and uh, talk to us some more thank you Indeed. so very very much yeah, thank you very much Yvette now let's get the answer to this week's fact or fiction to remind you here is the question did John Lennon see a UFO did John Lennon see a UFO what do you think? Well, if you answered fiction, you'd be wrong, because it's a fact. Have a listen to his explanation. Up there, I saw a UFO, and it went down the river, turned right at the United Nations, 
turn left and then down the river. It wasn't a helicopter, it wasn't a balloon, and it was so near. And you look what sort of uh, round, just, white, just luminescent, like, and silent. Uh, silent, and it looked dark, like black or gray in the middle, and had white lights, just looked like light bulbs, you know? Just going off, on, off, on, off, on, blink, 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 round the bottom, and on top was a red light. Well, that's it for today's show. Get in touch with us and share your stories with me. Here's the email address. It's contact at paranormalpod.co.uk or we are on WhatsApp. And here's the number. You know I love to hear your gorgeous voice. It's 075-999-27537. And we are on Instagram when we share all our pictures and videos and so on. Here's the handle at Paranormal Activity Pod. Stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow. And we'll be back again same time next week. But if you can't wait until then, visit www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find options to get episodes a day early. Have a great week. Stay safe. Remember, don't read that book before you go to bed. And things aren't always as they seem.